Hello, live stream Bible Church family. Um, another beautiful weekend out there, and uh, something nice about seeing the sunshine and the blue skies, and and it's great to take some time out to be in the Word. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you for this series of messages called the Esther series. We want to thank you that uh, we're going to be sharing on having an effective impact. Uh, in the kingdom of God or on the kingdom of God. And we, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would make it life to us, open us up, pour your word into us, and, and touch us, Father. Touch our understanding that not only that we will hear, we will see, we will receive, we will understand, and we will trust you in prayer that you will make this word flourish in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I want to thank you for uh, tuning in with us today. Uh, we're right in the middle of what I call Mother's Day season. I enjoy Mother's Day leading up to it. And we're uh, in this series called the Esther series in honor of the women of this world. And uh, we want to honor the women uh, leading up to Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, make sure that the women in your lives feel special. And, uh, and uh, just treat them like the wonderful people in our lives that they are. In the Esther series, we're on message two. We titled the message, An Effective Impact, and of course we've got a lot of passages of Scripture to read because we're treating the book of Esther like the story that it is. So grab your Bibles and turn to Esther chapter 3, and we'll be reading uh, Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. So we're going to take our time and there's going to be a little pause early on into the scripture reading because I want to share something with you. We are a church that believes that we are being discipled by the Word of God, and that's how we teach the Bible. And um, we believe that God wants to make disciples of all followers of Christ. So in that light, what I want to get across to you is that we need to treat every word in the Bible like it's important. That word belongs there because... God wanted it there. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Uh, message 2, an effective impact. Esther chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. I want to stop right there for a second just to drive this point home. We could have read this passage of Scripture, and it could have read like this. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. But that's not what it says. It says, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite. Now, the word Agagite, I, I just kind of look at it and I say, why? What do we care? You know, what, what, uh, what the heritage of Haman was. Why do we care? But it does go to the trouble to say Haman the Agagite. So Agagites were named after King Agag of the Amalekites or Amalekites from 1 Samuel chapter 15. And when you look at the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you know that Samuel had given instructions from God to King Saul that when you defeat the Amalekites, you kill them all. You kill the women, uh, the men, the children, even their livestock. Don't keep any of them alive. God wanted them completely destroyed. 
And it, it came from back when the Israelites first fled Egypt. That was the first group of people to come against them, to withstand them and try to stop them uh, from crossing their land. And so later in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when King Saul was ordered by God to destroy them all, Saul disobeyed God. Saul did not do what God had told me to do and let King Agag live. Now you fast forward to the time of Esther. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. Pay attention to what unfolds. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. Verse 9, If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, but they may not put it into the king's that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, and every people in its own language. And it was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of that document, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Esther chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. 
He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Haddock, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Haddock went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasures for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued to Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Haddock went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Haddock and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out this golden scepter or two that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief, and this is important, what Mordecai said, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. We have a message goal. The goal of this message is to help you know when your time has come for an effective impact for the kingdom purposes and the plan of God and how to know when he has prepared you for the moment. Many people, even many Christians, will have spent a large part of their lives climbing the ladder of success only to discover at the end that it was leaning against the wrong wall. In an effort to meet the standards of the world as we know it and what it calls success, Many people will have missed the purposes of God. They will have perhaps been very great in their careers, in their education, with all their resources, but they will stand before God never having finished the work that He had called them to do. They are like the man who said, I was dying to finish uh, high school so I could go to college. I was dying to finish college so I could go start a career. I was dying uh, for uh, my kids uh, to, to reach 18 so they'd leave home. I was dying to retire only to discover now I'm just dying. The sense of purpose is gone. The purpose for us as believers is our divinely designed reason for being once we have become Christians. 
The reason why we're not raptured to heaven at the moment of our conversion is that God has left us here to accomplish a kingdom purpose. God has purposes for all of us. Unfortunately today, it's quite easy to get caught up in the wrong purposes, the purposes of people and possessions, paychecks, power, and popularity. We might sprinkle a little piety in to make us feel a little better, but it's easy to live life without the right end game in mind. God's end game is revealed in the nature and working of his providence, the way God connects circumstances and people to accomplish his kingdom program. Even when the devil is doing his worst evil, he's still not his own devil. Even the devil was created by God for purposes. So unbeknownst to Satan, he's helping to complete the program of God because God providentially knows how to put the pieces of our lives puzzle together. So the things that do not look like they belong wind up fitting together to make the picture of the purposes manifest. No part of the Bible brings that out more clearly than the book of Esther. God's name and his law is not mentioned in Esther because God wanted a book in the Bible to show us how, when he is not overtly seen, he is still busy. Esther's time to have an impact for God's kingdom have come. We can learn from her story how to know when it's our time to be effective for the kingdom. When it's your peak potential to make an effective impact in God's kingdom, we have five points in this story. The first is when you are presented with a problem. In Esther chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, it said, After these things King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him to set his throne above all officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were without the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate told Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Your problem that you're facing right now in life, and I know everyone's facing problems, it may be relatively small, or it may be king-sized like it was for Esther, Mordecai and the Jews of Persia, throughout Persia. Your problem may also involve the need to stand against the ruling authorities for the sake of obedience to God because you have two different things taught in the Word of God. One is in Romans chapter 13 in the first seven verses where we're told by God that we should obey authorities. It says in chapter 1 of Romans, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For these for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attend to this very thing. 
pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And when government has been placed there by God and the edicts and the laws they're passing are not ordering us to go against the leadership or the rules or the guidance of God, then we're to obey them. But in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, is the reverse of that. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So in Esther, we have a situation where laws have been passed, and Mordecai has connived and deceived the king, Ahasuerus, and conjoled him into passing laws that... King Ahasuerus has no idea what the full consequences of those laws are. So Mordecai, in defiance of these laws, is in sackcloth and ashes in the gate where it's even against the law to do that. But he's praying for his people and for the survival of his people. So, point number one, when you are presented with a problem, it's a great time to make an impact on the kingdom of God. Point number two, when God connects spiritual preparation with spiritual warfare, it's a great time to make an impact on the kingdom of God. In Esther chapter 3, verses 7 through 15, it says, In the first month, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is in the month of Adar. Uh, Casting lots and pur, P-U-R, the word that's in the Bible, this has to do with a form of like throwing dice. This is the same kind of reference that was in the New Testament in the book of Acts. They cast lots like this to pick Matthias to replace Judas in the New Testament. You've heard me speak of it many times. I don't have much respect for the way they went about choosing Matthias to replace Judas when I believe the word of God proves uh, maybe not as clearly as I would like it to, but proves that God actually chose Paul to replace Matthias. We never hear of Matthias again after they use this form of choosing what to do uh, to replace Judas. And they're casting lots here. They're rolling dice before Haman every day, trying to see what the odds say of what Mordecai could do against the Jews. And they did it many days in a row. Verse 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it in the king's treasuries." So the king took a signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, and the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, in every province, in its own script, and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day 
the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by the proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown in confusion. Just two points about this, two sub-points about this. Whenever God gets ready to use you, you will have a spiritual battle to overcome. When God gets ready to use you, the devil's not just going to roll over and lay down and say, oh, well, God's about to use him. I'm not going to try to hinder him. I'm not going to try to stop him. I'm not going to try to present challenges. I'm not going to try to dissuade them. No, no. Whenever God gets ready to use you, you will have a spiritual battle to overcome. And two, spiritual battle is always a prerequisite to discovering your spiritual purpose. It's always. It's never going to be spiritual purpose and no withstanding, no fighting, no no devil coming against you, no demons of hell trying to stop you to keep you from learning or keep you from accomplishing God's purpose. There's going to be a fight, but we have God on our side. Point number three, when you are positioned to leverage your influence. Now, before I read another word, let me explain this to you. What we know is that Mordecai, he's been used by God and he has a certain amount of favor with the king. He's already told the king at one point that there was a plot against him to take his life. But, but, and Mordecai, Mordecai has X amount of influence with the king, but not like the queen does. He doesn't have the kind of influence the queen has. And so when I wrote this, I wrote, when you're positioned to leverage your influence, here's what I'm getting at for you, child of God. We're not Mordecai. We're not Queen Esther. But we are children of God, and whenever something arises in our lives or, or we witness something that's happening, something that's going on, we have a vast amount of influence, and I'm going to share more with you about that. Let's read the uh, Esther chapter 4 here first. When Mordecai learned, verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out, with a loud and bitter cry. So what was he doing? He was putting himself in a powerful position of prayer. That's what sackcloth and ashes are for. It is to bring attention to a deep-seated need that only God can take care of. So when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out in the midst of the city, and he cried out, with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting. And what is that for? Prayer. Fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So now, it's not just Mordecai. Many people throughout this empire, empire are in sackcloth and ashes and crying out to God. Much prayer is going up. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. At that point, Esther's only response is that my uncle is doing something that is against the law, and she tried to help him, but she did not understand the depth of the need he was praying over at the moment. Then Esther called for Haddock, one of the king's eunuchs. This is verse 5. 
who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what, what it was, what this was, and why it was. Haddock went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Haddock went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Haddock and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, verse 11, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. <clears throat> You know, many Christians misunderstand spiritual blessing. God wants us to use the gifts, the talents, the resources that he's given us to advance his kingdom. If there's little or no concern for that, you've just cut off your blessing. The experiences and opportunities God gives us are not just for us. They're about his kingdom. When we lose sight of that, we've missed God's plan. So what was I saying earlier for point three? What I was trying to allude to is this. If we're going to use, and that's what verse three or point three is, when you're positioned to leverage your influence, you might say, well, what influence do I have? You're a child of God. You've been given the name of Jesus Christ that when you use the name of Jesus in prayer, you enter right into the throne room of grace where you have more influence than your imagination can begin to scope out. And so whenever something comes up in our life, instead of being buried in doubt, fear, unbelief, and worry and concern, we can exercise our influence in the throne room of grace because we've been given the name of Jesus. Now Mordecai is leaning on the influence that Esther may or may not have. But child of God, I'm telling you, you've got influence. You've got the name of Jesus, and God expects us to use it. Point number four, when you discover how you can be used to be a blessing, uh, that's when you know you can make an impact on the kingdom of God. Look at just two verses, Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Then Mordecai told him to reply to Esther, Do you think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews? I, I like what Mordecai says in verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Do you see what Mordecai just said? Mordecai knows that Esther may have influence with the king, but if she doesn't exercise it, she doesn't use it. Mordecai is convinced that God's got a plan. Mordecai is convinced that God's got a purpose for the children of Israel and will not allow them to be destroyed. So he says, it is of no use either, or no, I'm sorry, verse 14, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Boom. That is the closest reference to God you're going to get in the, in the book of Esther. Uh, off the top of my head here, trying to remember. 
I think this is it. He says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, who knows that God has not put you in this position to help the children of Israel, but he doesn't mention God. He talks about the time. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, so he knows that Esther has the potential to be used by God to turn this thing around. I want to look real quick at something here. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, two extremely common scriptures. I mean, if you've, even if you've just been a casual reader of the New Testament, you've read these, this passage of scripture before. Luke said in Luke chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, salt is good. Now, now think for a minute here about the effect that Queen Hester can, Hester, or Esther can have on this situation like salt has to food for flavoring. Think about this. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now when you read it like this, what I said in the beginning, look, look, Jesus said in Luke 14, 34 and 35, <clears throat> now, and then remember what it says about salt. Read it like this. Jesus said in Luke 14, 34 and 35, <clears throat> that some of his people are useless. Think about that now. All right. Salt is good. That's like the children of God. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use for neither the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus said in Luke 14, 35, that some of his people are useless. They, they're not salty. They're, they're not doing what they're designed to do. They're not doing what salt does, right? So unless believers have no kingdom orientation and wind up saying, I don't know what my purpose is. I mean, what if, what if people... Just say, I'm a Christian. I got saved, but I've never really, I've never really thought much about what God wants me to do. I've never, I don't know of any purpose that He has for me. I've never asked Him about it. I've never heard anything. I, I don't know anything about it. What, what good are those kinds of children of God that don't have the kind of relationship with God that ask, "What is my purpose? What do you have for me, Father?" Because anyone who will ask will get an answer. We do not exist for ourselves alone. We exist to make a difference. We exist to make an impact. The great tragedy today is that the church isn't accomplishing kingdom purposes. Winning people to Christ, discipling them in the faith, and improving their lives so that they can be of greater impact vessels for God. Then we're just having a weekly party uh, in Jesus' name. If all we do is get together on Sunday morning to sing a few songs and have our ears tickled, we're just having a party in, in Jesus' name, and, and that's all that gets accomplished. We need to demonstrate how the kingdom of heaven operates on the earth. We have a purpose. Point number five. <clears throat> we know it's time to have an impact on the kingdom of God when God asks you to intervene in a spiritual conflict. When God asks you to intervene in a spiritual conflict. The first or the last few verses of Esther chapter 4, verse 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, 
Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold fast, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She's getting, she's catching on. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. Once God has prepared you to be a blessing, he is going to ask you to take a risk of faith. Once God has prepared you to be a blessing, he will ask you to take a risk of faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. I think that the challenge for us today is to open our eyes to the opportunities of a time, such a time as this. In Esther 4.14 it says, If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. How How do you know that you haven't come into the kingdom for just such a time as this that we're facing right now? You know what I like about the kingdom of God in the New Testament and the church age? It, it doesn't so much involve a whole bunch of individuals. It involves the body of Christ. And we can all join together and all be praying for the same purpose and all be reaching out to God for the same goal as a church, as a body, which is so much more powerful than just one person praying or a handful of people praying. The math of the Bible is one person can set X number of demons to flight. Two people can set exponentially more demons to flight. Three people, and as the numbers go up, the more exponentially demons can be set to flight. We have to understand our purpose, and we have to pull together. I've got a little story here. uh, It's about the Silicon Valley, and I want to read this to you. It's called No Ordinary Sand. We usually think of sand as one of the most common elements on earth. We get annoyed when we get sand in our shoes or in our cars or when we go to the beach. We don't see much use for sand. But in the Silicon Valley of California, tech experts make computer chips with sand. Not because it's different sand, but because it's used differently. I want to read that again. Not because it's different sand, but because it's used differently. One reason God can't do much with some of his people is that they are just like sand lying around. God can't have his way because he can't find enough saints whose value is tied up in their usefulness. I pulled up a little story here uh, that has biblical background about the tragedy of the Titanic. The sinking of the great ocean liner Titanic was a horrible loss of 1,500 lives. But did you know that many of these people didn't have to die? Most of the lifeboats leaving the ship were only half full. But the people who were in them didn't want to risk turning back to rescue others drowning in the water for fear that they would rush the lifeboats and in their panic to be saved, overturn them and sink everyone. So the people were saved in the lifeboats simply, so the people that were saved in the lifeboats simply kept going because reaching back to the others might interfere with them being delivered. Hundreds of people died because those who were already saved didn't want to save others. You know, I want to refer back here in closing to this story from verse 1 in the beginning there. Um, This is a writing about Agag. 
We're told several times in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, and in verse 10. Also, uh, in Esther chapter 8, verses 3 and 5, and Esther chapter 9, verse 24, that Haman was the Agagite. That may not mean too much to people today, but God doesn't waste words in the Bible. There's an important history behind the mention of Haman's background. The Agagites were descendants of Agag, whose story is told in 1 Samuel 15. Agag was the king of the Malachites, bitter enemies of Israel, who were trying to destroy the Jews many years before Esther's time when Saul was king of Israel. God told Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what a Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike uh, Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, including their king Agag. But Saul thought he was smarter than God and decided to spare Agag. So Saul disobeyed God. Agag's posterity was not destroyed, and 400 years later, his descendant, Haman, is determined to destroy the Jews. Their plight was the fruit of a root problem that wasn't dealt with earlier. So when the book of Esther says that Haman was an Agagite, the writer is telling us that he's part of a legacy of unaddressed sin that should have been fully eradicated long ago. Some of us know what it is to have something we should have dealt with earlier, something we wish we had dealt with but didn't, coming back to haunt us later in life. That's why we need to deal fully with sin. The per mentioned in Esther chapter 3, verse 7, is the lot, an ancient version of dice used to determine a course of action or right choice, but it's not. Child of God, we need to pay attention and, and this works for me, it's for you, it's for, it's for all of us. We need to pay attention to what God wants to do in our lives today because it, it goes on affecting us. Disobedience will go on affecting us like a little bit of leaven if we're not careful and if we don't obey God. So I guess that one of my strongest prayers in dealing with this subject today is that God will help us it, to obey him. Obedience. If we love God, we'll just do what he tells us to do. If we love Jesus, we'll keep his commandments. If we love Jesus, we'll do what we're told to do. Because we see that 400 years had passed, and because Saul disobeyed God, the children of Israel were still in danger because of the past sins of someone that had been dead 400 years. So we live in the age of grace, and that's a wonderful and powerful thing. But these effects of sin still do not change. They don't change. And so that we, we need to be obedient to God and do what he tells us to do when he tells us to do it. So in closing, when is your peak potential to make an effective impact in God's kingdom? One, when you're presented with a problem. Been there, seen that. When God connects spiritual preparation with spiritual warfare. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know when God doesn't connect those two when he's dealing with us. Number three, when you are positioned to leverage your influence. And every one of us have been given the name of Jesus, and we should leverage that influence. When you discover how you can be used to be a blessing, why in the world would we choose not to be a blessing? 
And number five, when God asks you to intervene in a spiritual conflict. You know, when God asks us to intervene in a spiritual conflict, and he's given us the name of Jesus, and of course, the third point and the fifth point are greatly intertwined. When God asks you to intervene in a spiritual conflict, he's telling you to put on the whole armor of God and go after We just need to obey God. You know, here's the thing. On an individual basis, you know, God's God, and God's not going to fail. You know, if God deals with us to intervene, he's giving us an opportunity to be a blessing. He's given us an opportunity to be a partaker. He's giving us an opportunity to be one of the tools in his toolbox, one of the arrows in his quiver, one of the weapons in his possession. And we should not pass up this opportunity because if we do, God's just going to use somebody else. And why wouldn't we want to be used by God when he deals with us? Father, in Jesus' name, in closing today, in our closing prayer, I pray that you would forgive us for all the times that we've disappointed you, that we've missed you, and we failed to be a blessing, and we failed to obey you. Father, while there's breath still in our bodies and life in our bones, I pray in Jesus' name that you would build us up, teach us, lead us, guide us, direct us, strengthen us, and prepare us, Father, for the next time that you give us an opportunity to be involved because we're living in the age of grace. I want to rely upon your forgiveness, Father, and your preparation in our lives so that we, like Mordecai and like Queen Esther, can answer the call and be uh, warriors in the kingdom that aren't afraid to fight on our needs in prayer and to be used of you to be a blessing, especially in this day and age in which we live when so many people need help, Father. And, and the world needs desperately, Father, for your hand to continue to turn it, the face of this world towards you, Father, and to repent. Lord, we can squander this opportunity or we can use it to your maximum ability. May we just be obedient to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Tune in with us tomorrow at 8 a.m. and tomorrow night at 6 p.m. for our study in the book of Galatians and then Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 8 a.m. Wednesday night, don't forget the worship service with Heights Foursquare Church in Yakima on their Facebook page. And um, we'll see you again next Sunday. God bless. Bye.